Welcome to the third ever edition of Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and today's episode is brought to you by BestFightPicks.com. Go to BestFightPicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks sent directly to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me today for the third ever episode of Half the Battle and the special UFC Chicago Dillashaw vs. Barrow edition is none other than Harlan Bardsley from the Party Shot Podcast and Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence from Before the Bald Man Speaks. Carlin, how's it going, man? Doing good. Thanks for having me, man. This is a lot of fun. I haven't gotten drunk and talked fights in uh, several days. Yeah, man, for sure. And how's it going, Andrew? Good, man. Uh, you know, uh, evening in Brooklyn, chilling out at the laptop, wasting my Friday with you, gentlemen. Yeah, I couldn't pick a better way. Now, Carlin, real quick, before we get started, now, I listen to your show, The Parting Shot Podcast, every single Sunday. And at the end of the show, you said, you know, feel free to hit me up, you know, if you want to talk about face punching, guns and roses, and Asian women. Now, I'm going to take you up on that offer. I would love to talk to you about guns and roses and Asian women. You know, unfortunately, we might have to talk about face punching the most here. But real quick, Carlin, I want to know, are you an appetite for destruction kind of guy or a use your illusion kind of guy? Well, I think Appetite for Destruction is probably the best hard rock record ever recorded, to be honest with you. I, I still remember the first time I heard that album in its entirety. I was a small child at the time. Uh, clearly, my parents made some bad decisions somewhere along the line to actually get that cassette tape into my hands. But the uh, fact of the matter is, is that it, it was life-changing on some level. And to this day, I still think that Night Train is the best song ever written about $1 fortified wine. And Mr. Brownstone has never made... Uh, Building a slow addiction to heroin sounds so sexy. Yeah, it's so easy, no pun intended. Now, hey, <laughs> now, Mr. Clown Kid, Andrew Lawrence, real quick, before we talk face punching, do you have anything to add to the Guns N' Roses talk? I would say that um, Chinese democracy was underrated. Buckethead <laughs> uh, deserved his props. Uh, if uh, the vocals weren't there, at least the guitar shredding was in full effect with Buckethead. You know, there was one time when uh, the Offspring were actually going to name their album Chinese Democracy just as a little, uh, you know, a little jab at Guns N' Roses. But that's a topic for a whole nother time. Now, today we got to talk about UFC Chicago. Dillashaw is going to rematch Barrow. You know, the first time they fought, you know, Dillashaw was a plus 800 underdog and Barrow was a minus 1,000 favorite. And everyone still laid the juice on Hen and Barrow, including myself. And, you know, we've all learned our lessons since. And, you know... One thing we got to talk about is there's been a great stretch of fights. You know, UFC 189, the tough finale, San Diego, you know, all the way down in Scotland, we're wearing our kilts. But one little thing I got to talk to you guys about is this guy named Wanderlei Silva. Now, Wanderlei <laughs> has said some stuff, you know, he makes these videos where, you know, he's talking and the, the, the flashlight's above his head, you know, it's like uh, that scene in the Sandlot. But... What he just said now has taken everything to a whole nother level. He said that he can prove that there's been fixed fights in the UFC. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but as far as I'm concerned, those are some defamatory claims, and he can for sure be sued. What's your opinion on that, Carlin? Well, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if he can be sued or not, but uh, the, it's a very interesting statement that he says he can prove it. That, to me, says that either uh, he was involved in one of the fights or one of his campmates, you know, maybe uh, Shogun Hua or, or whoever else, when the old shooter box crew was. I don't know that to be the case. None of those uh, fights that, uh, that those gentlemen I just mentioned were involved with jumped to me as, oh, okay, that was, that was a, the fix was in there. Uh, 
Uh, Ken Shamrock against Rich Franklin? Maybe. You know, I don't know if uh, that was fixed or if Ken just threw that fight. I don't know one way or the other. Uh, it's interesting that Vanderlei is uh, so full of venom towards his uh, former employer. Of course, they're blocking him from working anywhere in the world right now, so I guess he's got a right to be pissed. Every time I've talked to Vanderlei, it's weird because he's, like, the nicest guy. And then you see him make these, like, weird, you know, like, 90s-esque, you know, single spotlight videos where he's all, you know, kind of creepy and whatever else. So it's an interesting dichotomy that guy has. But I don't know that he has proof. I think he's saying that to rattle some cages and see what comes out, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... Where I come from, I've never ran from a drug test in my life, so I can't really put myself in his shoes. Now, Andrew, why don't you follow up a comment on this whole Vanderlei, you know, claiming that there's been some fixed fights when we think of UFC as as real as it gets. So, I mean, that's kind of a blow to the hardcore fans like myself and, you know, a bunch of other people I know just as, to disrespect the sport like that. Comment a little bit on that, Andrew. Um, I, I, you know, disrespect the sport, uh, you know, people brandy about these terms uh, kind of loosely to me. Uh, you know, you're talking about disrespecting a sport that's essentially, you know, blood sport for cash. Um, it's pretty disrespectful by its very nature. There's no real honor and in, in, in great integrity in, in people hurting each other for money. Um, I wanted to circle back, though. Your earlier point, you said that everyone got burnt on uh, TJ Dillashaw against Henan Burrell. I would just like to point out that my first ever... Uh, blog post, uh, I ran a blog a while back, uh, definitely gave people the advice to lay a cool $20 on uh, TJ Dillashaw and enjoy that nice $100 return that they got. Um, just throwing that out there. Uh, circling back to Wanderlei Silva. Um, Wanderlei, if he had the evidence to prove something like that, it would we'd for sure see Wanderlei presenting that evidence in one of those dimly lit videos. Um, the Wanderlei Silva, uh, you know, escapade that has been since he's been, uh, you know, uh, kicked out of the UFC and indefinitely suspended has just been wonderful to me. Everything about that entire, um, you know, with the, with the silly videos and the crazy hard rock music going in the background and just it being all in Portuguese and very scary has just been wonderful for me. I, I think it's the most entertaining, uh, you know, retired fighter uh, in, in all of MMA right now, I really don't put much, you know, solid, uh, you know, uh, reliable or reliability into his claim. He's just, you know, spouting off at the mouth trying to get headlines as um, as he's doing. So, you know, good work, Wanderlei. Continue making those awesome videos. I'm still going to consider what you say to be 98% bullshit, uh, but I'll look forward to seeing him try to prove it. It'll be fantastic comedy no matter what. Yeah, those uh, attorney fees are definitely going to stack up for Wanderlei. Now, obviously, you mentioned the fact that you actually called TJ Dillashaw to beat Burrell the first time. Now, I had no idea. So what I'm going to do right now is resign from Best Fight Picks. I'm going to let you take over my spot. Now, before we sign the papers, there's another supposed lawsuit going down. And that's the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter on the planet, Jose Aldo. You know, some reports came out that not only is he talking about suing the UFC... He's talking about suing Mr. Chael Sonnen. Now, real quick, a lot of people talk about the comments that Dana White made. Now, as far as I'm concerned, they're true. He said, you know, Aldo's pulled out of five title fights and that Aldo's cost the UFC millions of dollars. As far as I'm concerned, those are facts. Now, obviously, he is the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter on the planet, so you got to respect him. 
But, I mean, the facts are the facts. And if he really wants to stick it to the UFC, how about he just comes in there, shows up, and beats Conor McGregor? I mean, doesn't that solve everything? What do you think, Carlin? Well, first of all, I think the way the UFC has treated uh, Jose Aldo uh, up to and after the, the Conor McGregor showdown was supposed to occur is nothing sort of just absolutely goofy on all fronts. Um, I don't know why Dana is insistent on throwing this guy under the bus as much as he has. I don't know why that he's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, the doctor's cleared him, the doctor's cleared him, and then Jose Aldo uh, presents uh, a, an x-ray showing the broken rib. You know, that to me says one thing. Either the, the UFC uh, doctor is completely inept, which is possible. I mean, you know, not everyone's going to be the best doctor in the world. Someone's graduating at the bottom of these classes. Or it says that the, the doctor is working for the interest of the UFC and not for the fighters, which is uh, quite a, a bit of a scarier scenario for everyone concerned, I think. Um, whether uh, Aldo has a case for defamation, again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Um, I'm going to have to call someone else who's got a little bit more experience in the field than that. But I think that uh, Aldo is just kind of trying to uh, stick out a claim for himself saying, listen, I'm not going to just sit here and let you uh, talk this shit about me, whether it's defamation or not. Uh, the Chael Sonnen thing, Chael, wh whether he's acting as a mouthpiece at the UFC or just Chael being Chael, who knows. Uh, I see a lot stickier situation for Jose if he actually tries to get damages out of uh, Chael P. Sonnen. Now, real quick, before we get into your response, Andrew, I just want to ask you guys, did you happen to hear Chael's podcast where he talked about the fact that, you know, there's a possibility that Aldo actually submitted a picture of a past injury. That's what Chael submitted I have no clue if it's true or not, but that's what he was implying. And now Aldo, you know, apparently took that to heart, and, you know, stuff's going down. Now, Andrew, what's your take on this? Well, you know, first of all, as far as the lawsuits go, it's much easier to file a lawsuit than it is to actually win a lawsuit. In fact, it's much easier to file a lawsuit than it is to actually have that lawsuit be presented in front of a judge. We live in a, you know, tort-crazy world, and... Um, you know, it's very easy to find a lawyer who will side with whatever opinion you have to present whatever paperwork, you know, they can to collect a fee from you. Um, I think that he'll be very hard-pressed to win either lawsuit against Chael P. Sonnen or the UFC. Um, I don't think it's probably in his best interest to continue a lawsuit with the UFC, who's currently in... A uh, very tight legal relationship with them for uh, you know being his fight promoter. Uh, as far as it goes with Chael claiming that it was an older injury, I think I have some insight into this. Um, I think what Dana and Chael, because I think Dana also made the claim um, in in some other areas. Dana, they're referring to in that picture you see the lowest floating rib is broken off. It's very clear from that scan that it's broken off. Um, I think what they're saying is that that floating rib injury is a previous uh, rib injury. And what's happened there is that that piece of the rib has broken off and that, uh, you know, whatever bone is formed uh, to, like, reconnect that older injury, that's, uh, you know, isn't, isn't showing on that scan, but that's an older injury. The rib injury that happened recently is actually higher up on his rib cage, uh, so whenever it looks at that injury, they see that lower floating rib, and it clearly looks broken, and, and especially to the untrained eye, um, it looks like a clear break. Um, and really what is of concern isn't that area, which is 
that's how his bone has mended. That is how his floating rib had healed from a previous injury. The injury that happened before uh, 189 was was higher up on his rib cage. At least that's what I think. The problem is, is we're seeing, we're hearing so many conflicting narratives. Uh, you know, clearly Dana has an interest in saying that Jose backed out of the fight. You know, Jose has the interest of saying that he was legitimately injured. So we'll probably never know. But I, I would just caution people against looking at raw CAT scans or MRIs when you're not a doctor and you don't know what the fuck you're looking at. And you know, claiming like, oh, that's a clearly, obviously, obvious break. Well, you know, we're not even looking at the right rib. We're not even looking at the right section of the rib cage, for all we know. So I would just caution people against, you know, putting on their doctor's cap when they see a picture on Twitter. Yeah, and I couldn't agree, agree more myself. You know, I looked it in. I didn't even know what the hell was going on. It was, you know, they're all black, and then one of them's white, so I assume that was the hurt one. You know, I've never taken an x-ray class in my life. But one thing I do think I am qualified to talk about is these upcoming fights. So first off, we got to talk about Brian Caraway versus Eddie Wineland. Now, Eddie Wineland, this is a guy that he used to be the WEC bantamweight champ, you know, he's knocked out a bunch of dudes. He knocked out Scott Jorgensen. You know, he beat Brad Pickett back when Brad Pickett was in his prime. And, you know, he's had a lot of great performances. But every single great fighter or just every fighter in general, they reach that point where, you know, suddenly they can't take shots as well as they used to. Suddenly they're not as accurate and as precise as they used to be. And Eddie Wyland is one of these guys that back when he was on his game, his striking was was deadly, and he's so confident in his striking that he keeps his chin straight up in the air and his hands down. And when he fought, you know, the two Novo and Yao guys, Hen and Barrow, and subsequently he faced his coach, Johnny Eduardo, he got knocked out by both guys in devastating fashion. Now he's fighting Mr. Brian Caraway. Not only is he the boyfriend of Misha Tate, but this guy, 17 of his 19 wins are via submission. So it's an interesting style clash. His stand-up's never been the best, but he is effective at, you know, getting the fight where he wants it. As a betting man, I always like to take, you know, the younger, fresher guy, and I always like to fade the retirement talk. What's your opinion on this matchup, Carlin? There's a lot of people saying Eddie Wineland is done because of uh, the last fight and the injury afterwards. Uh, you said yourself that you're concerned about his chin and the way that, you know, he always seems to fight like an old-timey guy on the cover of an old comic book or something like that with his chin st <laughs> stuck out like that. But you know what? He's fighting Brian Caraway. It's not going to matter. Brian Caraway does not hit hard enough for it to be an issue, uh, you know, no matter how far Eddie Wineland's chin is stuck out there. Brian Caraway, the best uh, chance, obviously, he has to, to win this is to take uh, Wineland down and work for a submission. I like Wineland's wrestling. I, you know, Caraway's got decent submissions. I don't see a whole lot else out of this guy. I am picking Eddie Wineland in this fight, and it's not so much as that, you know, I'm uh, Eddie Wineland is going to reclaim the, the top spot in the division as I am. It's it's Brian Caraway. Hmm? Well, I hear you on that, Carlin. And one thing that kind of brought a concern in my mind, you know, when you talk about picking Eddie Wineland, is that he said the following words: "Is the juice worth the squeeze?" You know, he's contemplating, you know, one <laughs> foot in out the door and. You just never know what to expect from a guy like that. Now, Andrew. And, and that's a fair point. I just want to add that Frank Mir said that very same thing uh, right before he just uh, turned Todd Duffy into a sleeper. Interesting. I never caught that, so I'm glad I have that insight, Carlin. Andrew, what's your perspective on this Wineland versus Caraway fight? 
Man, I I, I like Brian Ca- uh, I like uh, Brian Caraway. I think that he gets an unjust amount of hatred from the UFC fandom because he's having sex with Misha Tate. There's no question. Most men want to be having sex with Misha Tate. It's just you know she's a very very attractive woman. Um, you know my girlfriend don't don't hate me for saying that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but you know, a guy like that, a, a guy like Brian Caraway, I think has a lot of avenues to victory in this. I, I, mostly, I think that he could definitely grind out uh, Eddie Wineland for Ed, all of the wrestling credentials Wineland does have. Um, he seemed to have got stuck in striker mode, and we've seen this before, where people who can or do have grappling wrestling backgrounds, you know, fall in love with the hands after some success. And then when the, the, the chin starts to fade and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they can't slug it out and maybe they've lost a little bit on the hand speed, they stick with the, they stick with the stand-up. And really the game has turned more and more into, um, you know, a, a, away from the wrestling. But Brian Caraway has not. And um, I think he has a clear path to victory here to get that takedown. I placed a bet on on Brian Caraway, so I, I'm looking for him to... Uh, to at least be competitive in the fight and, and make his wrestling, you know, um, relevant in the fight. And even if he doesn't get the victory, I think he'll at least steal a few rounds here. Uh, and, um, you know, possibly cheer on his lady to victory later on in the evening. Yeah, and I'm actually leaning towards the underdog as well, and I'll tell you why right now. If he stands and bangs with Eddie Wineland, like Carlin said, he's going to get knocked out because you do not – simply stand and bang with Eddie Wineland, unless you're Johnny Eduardo, you know, Novo Niel, striking coach. But what I think is going to happen is that Brian's going to just, you know, he's going to make it an ugly fight. He's going to stick to him like glue. He's going to make the entire crowd boo. You know, he's going to cash our underdog plays, hopefully, and it's going to be a, either a 30-27 or a submission. But if, if for some reason, he thinks he can go toe-to-toe with Wineland, he's probably going to get knocked out. So... It's a matter of him having the correct game plan and strategy and mindset, in my opinion. Now, obviously, the fact that he's cornering Tate later on, that might kind of play into his head a little bit. But when we talk about the Tate fight, we got to talk about the fact that she's actually cornering him earlier. So she's not going to be focusing on her fight for you know those 15 minutes. And we'll see how that, how that plays. Now, before we get into the main card, we got to talk about Kenny Robertson versus Ben Saunders. Now, real quick. <laughs> we have to. No, we have to to because you two are my guests, and you two told me before the show off air that this was your sleeper fight for fight of the night. Okay, maybe I'm not serious. Maybe you didn't really tell me that. But one thing I got to say is that Kenny Robertson, you know, this is a D1 wrestler that's pulled off modified knee bars inside the octagon, and he's knocked out Russians with spinning back fists. I mean... The guy seems to have that well-rounded package, and he's getting better every single fight. Now, when you talk about his opponent, Ben Saunders, he's mostly known for his Muay Thai and his Muay Thai clinch knees. But lately in his fights, you know, he's been using that 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. He's got a great, you know, great with the mission control. He's got the first Uma Plata in UFC history. In his last fight with Joe Riggs, he was about to get a go-go Plata, but, you know, Riggs blew out his shoulder. So... The thing we see from Ben Saunders is that you know he's using that that tenth planet jujitsu inside the octagon, and the only other guy we've seen do that successfully actually is uh, Tony Ferguson. So it is kind of cool to see. But stylistically speaking, I do think that Kenny Robertson can avoid the subs and grind him out. What's your opinion, Carlin? 
I like the killer bee in this one. Uh, like you say, I, I think that he's going to unleash a few of those knees. I think he's going to soften up Robertson to the body standing. I think he's going to be able to hold him against the cage for a little while and, and do some damage that way. If Robertson does get the takedown, again, like you said, Ben Saunders on his back is a lot better than he used to be. He's really found his stride in his jiu-jitsu game, and he can throw up subs and at least keep Kenny Robertson honest and you know, perhaps inactive on top of just guarding away from those submissions. So I like the killer bee here, and you can get him at a good price. So I like, you know, it's a good play all the way around. Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence. Yeah, um, I ended up picking uh, Ben Saunders, but I did not bet this fight. I really feel like, uh, you know, like a lot of the things you said were very relevant and. Ultimately, I hate this matchup because there's very few fighters I actually enjoy and, and like anymore. I, I, I've become so kind of cold to the whole process of MMA. I'm almost looking at every fighter now as a stock. Um, and, and unless that stock is delivering for me, I don't like them. And when it is paying dividends, then I hate it, then I love it. Um, but I really like Ben Saunders, and I've really liked Kenny ever since he got that modified knee bar. It was just such a weird submission that it, it instantly enamored me to the guy. Um, how do I think the fight breaks down? I think the thing about Ben is he's not scared to go to his back, so he's willing to go for crazy shit. So he'll throw the hands, and he'll throw probably some kicks that are ill-advised. He'll go onto his back, but I think that Kenny's savvy enough to kind of keep control and I think that happens early in that Ben ends up figuring out his game, you know, maybe wins around from his back with a, on a couple judges' scorecards early and then decides, no, I can't go to my back. i got to stay on my feet. i got to win this fight. Um, and hopefully he gets the edge striking. You know, that can always be, you know, shaky because Saunders does his very good Muay Thai, but we know when, you know, when you're looking to stuff takedowns too, there's always opportunities. The hands drop a little bit. So I'm looking for Ben Saunders to win this fight in a stand-up affair, but it will definitely be the sleeper of the night in that uh, I may sleep during it, not that <laughs> it may <laughs> produce uh, a, a too entertaining of a, an affair. Oh, I actually thought uh, Dominic Steele versus uh, Jessamine Duke. I mean, Zach Cummings, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think both of those fights are the sleeper fights, but, you know, I hope both of you are wrong in your prediction of Ben Saunders. And I hope the underdog comes through here. Now, here's a fight that I'm pretty damn sure you're going to be excited to talk about, Andrew. And this is a fight between Takanori, the fireball kid, Gomi, the former Pride lightweight champion, versus Joe J-Lo Lozon, the owner of the most post-fight bonuses in UFC history. Now, Zufa history, that belongs to Cowboy Cerrone. But UFC history, that's my man Joe Lozon. Now, these two are about to scrap, and anytime you see Joe Lozon or Takanori Gomi go to war, you can expect war. Now, Carlin, tell me what you think about this fight. Break it down for us. Well, I th you know, I'm an old school pride guy, so I really want to pick Takanori Gomi here, but I'm not going to. I just can't. In all good conscience, it's. Uh, I'm I'm not sold on a 36-year-old guy who still calls himself a, the the kid, any kind of kid. You know, it's just it's not happening for me. You know, and I've heard people people actually said to me this week that you know you know what Joe Lozon's chin is done. You know, he if uh, Gomi touches him, it's over. 
Joe Lozon, yeah, I Iaquinta flatten him. All right, great. But Al Iaquinta is a bad mamma jamma. The last time Joe Lozon got knocked out was like three years before that. I don't know where all this talk, like, okay, he got knocked out once. He's got no chin anymore. I mean, that's I, I just don't play that game with it. And Gomi, he knows if he goes to the ground with Lozon, he's going to be in deep water there. Uh, I like J-Lo to, to get the victory here and perhaps get another post-fight bonus. Who knows? The human bonus machine may do it again. And I just want to add one more thing before we turn it over to Andrew. I love how Andrew kind of looks wistfully off on the horizon while he's talking about these things. I'm really digging it. Yeah, and, and Andrew, before we get to you, you know, Carl, I just, <laughs> want to touch, I just want to touch on a point you made, you know. Obviously, you know, Lozani has been KO'd by Masvidal, by Showtime Pettis, and by Ayakinta. But, I mean, Gomi doesn't have the best chin either. And a lot of people are trying to act like Joe Lozon has to get the fight to the ground and submit him in order to win. I think he can beat him on the feet, you know, so... That's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, Gomi just lost by TKO to Miles Jury. No one's ever going to mistake Miles Jury for one-shot KO power. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence. What Look is off into the horizon before you do it. What is your perspective as you take a sip on your drink and you let us know about Joe J-Lo Lozon versus Takanori, the fireball kid, Gomi? Now, I, I will say, earlier today, I was looking at old Pride posters of Takanori Gomi. So, you know, the nostalgia started hitting me. And and I look off wistfully in the distance, not <laughs> not for any real reason, except that's where the cue cards are. But tell me what my opinions are. I have The, the whole staff is behind here. Here is just West. me. The, the staff's back there. They're telling me what my opinions are. They're reminding me how to speak English, telling me to calm down on the drink. I need a refresher, though. Um, and, anyhow, <laughs> uh, Takanori Gomi and, and Joe Lozon. Um, yeah, the wars have caught up with, with poor Gomi. And, um, you know, Joe, it seemed for a while that, that the wars might have caught up with Joe. He's, he's clearly been beat, beaten up bad in some fights. But, um, you know, he showed that he still had the heart in the last, in, well, not really against Al, but, um, against Michael Kiesa before that, um, showed that he could still be in, in a real war and a real scrap. Um, I think Lozon has, has better stand-up, honestly, at this point. Um, I really think that fighters coming over from, uh, you know, from Japan are at a huge disadvantage. Anyone who's made that travel back, uh, you know, east over a, a bunch of time zones know, knows that it's really, really hard on the body, and, uh, catching up's really bad, and then you talk about that, uh, you know amidst a cut to 155. 155ers are known to cut a good bit of weight. Japanese fighters are known to not cut weight so well. Um, you know, these are things that just pile on a person. Um, poor Gomi, you know, I, I think after... I think Miles Jury put it best. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Yeah. I think, uh, I think uh, you know, Miles Jury put it best when he was like, dude, I just beat up Takanori Gomi. Wasn't a big deal. Um, we're going to have one of those same effects uh, at the end of this fight, and we're going to see, um, you know, Joe Lozon say basically the same thing in just a more eloquent way. And, you know, I just got to touch on that for a second because Miles Jury might have some of the best post-fight speeches I've ever I've ever heard. You know, <laughs> against uh, Diego Sanchez, they're like, you know, this is the biggest win in your career, Miles. What do you think about your impressive performance? And he's like, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> Like, what an asshole in, in, a, in a couple ways. 
I think even before the Gomi fight, he's like, I don't want to seem like an asshole or anything, but... And you know as soon as but. someone lays that <laughs> phrase out, they're going to say something that makes them look like an extreme asshole. Yeah, and you know, I actually got a bone to pick, Andrew. You know, I agreed with all your points about Joe Lozon except one of them. <laughs> and let me tell you the one I didn't agree with. You said that you weren't sure about his heart and that Iakinta fight. Now, he didn't know where the hell he was, man. He was on ice skates, and if he lacked heart, he would have started balling up. He would have looked for a way out. But, I mean, the guy's on ice skates. You know, he's doing the, uh, you know, the Olympic ceremony inside the octagon. And, you know, the ref's trying to run to the other side to find him because, I mean, this guy's going, uh, you know, 10 miles per hour on each side. And, you know, when you watch a Martin Campman fight, whenever guys would put, you know, pressure on Martin Campman and they'd start teeing off on him, he'd cover up, he'd take a seat, and the ref would come in and stop the fight. That's not what happened with Joe Lozon. I think either... You know, he really didn't know where he was to the point where he was just on autopilot on his feet, or he just has that warrior spirit and a ton of heart. Yeah, let me respond to that real quick. I I really always hesitate to kind of, you know, make an uh, interpretation of, of what's going on in the fight, but there's always the instinct. There's always, like, you know, your gut feeling of, all right, I think that this fight isn't... You know, I always take that gut feeling with a grain of salt. So, you know, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, my gut feeling is maybe the fight game's, you know, past Joe on by. But, um, you know, once I took a step back from that opinion, you look at maybe the course of the last three fights, you realize, oh, there's more to this story. And so ultimately I agree with you. I think, you know, Joe's heart's still there. Kid's got heart for days, you know. And I don't, awesome dis- I don't disagree with you one bit about, you know, potentially the game passing him by because, like we mentioned earlier on the show, that is what happens to every great fighter or just every fighter in general. Now, we got to talk about a fight that a lot of people think this could either be the knockout of the night or the fight of the night. And I'm talking about the former scariest striker at 155 pounds, Mr. Edson Barbosa, versus the man who may be the current scariest striker at 155 pounds and that next generation, Mr. Paul the Irish Dragon. Felder. Now it's funny. When I talk about a dangerous striker named Paul, I'm always thinking about Paul Semtex Daily. But you know, as one common theme we've been talking about on the show is that you know every great fighter, you know, they eventually get past their prime and they don't start performing like they used to. That's what we see with Paul Daly now. But now there's a new Paul that can strike, and that's Paul the Irish Dragon Felder. Now, to me, this is a incredible fight because with Edson Barbosa, he's one of the fastest guys in the division, and if he kicks you you know, in the right spot on the liver or right on the chin with his shin, you're going to sleep. I don't care who you are. However, if you put some serious pressure on Edson Barbosa and you cut off that ring and you start making him taste his own blood, you start hitting him on the chin, that's when he starts to question himself. That's when there's a potential to knock him out. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because obviously not only does Barbosa have the speed advantage, he's got the experience advantage. He's got the, you know, the I'm a UFC veteran ex- advantage. Now, with Paul Felder, this guy's got some serious firepower. He's got some serious technique, not just on the feet, on the ground too. If you watch his UFC debut, you know, he barely gets taken down at all. And when he does get taken down, he's working for triangles, he's working for sweeps. He's very, very dangerous. Now, Carlin, what's your perspective on Paul Felder versus Edson Barbosa? Well, I think this is uh, the preemptive favor to be the fight of the night. I mean, uh, the way I see this fight going is just doing uh, basically Muay Thai kickboxing with four-ounce gloves. I think this is the way that's going to break down. And you mentioned that Barboza doesn't like uh, being cut off, doesn't like being pressured. This is a UFC on Fox card. They're going to be using the big cage. 
So, you know, the, the angles are going to be a little uh, more difficult for Paul Felder to figure out here. Uh, I have a little more faith in, in Barboza's ability to, to counter off his back foot than a lot of people do, and that's fine. That's fair. It's a fair criticism of Barboza, quite frankly, but I, I just I can see it happening here. I think Paul Felder is, is a very good fighter. I don't think he's uh, reached that crest yet where he can beat a guy like Edson Barboza. I mean, I go back to the Jason Sago fight. I mean, Jason Sago is a hella cool dude. But uh, if uh, Paul Felder just manages a split D over a guy like Jason Sago, that tells me that maybe it's not quite there yet. I know he had a great uh, win over one of my favorite nicknames in the entire UFC, the last call, Castillo. But uh, I, I like Barbosa in this one after 15 hard-fought minutes of hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence. Yeah, I, I, I see this fight... Uh... Not as uh, as going to the decision. I see someone getting the knockout here. Um, two things on, on this fight. One is that we talked about speed and we talked about that Edson Barboza is going to be the quicker fighter. I'm not so sure about this. I think it's really hard to judge, especially in MMA as opposed to maybe boxing. Um, you know, a, a, a fighter's reaction speed and hand speed... Um, and while I agree with you, I think that Edson Barbosa could be the uh, the faster fighter. I- I'm not sure if that's the case. You know, we we we've seen Paul be the faster fighter in all of his fights, but he's been fighting traditionally slower fighters. So he might have the hand speed that can beat and and uh, beat Edson to the punch. We'll we'll figure that out. You know, tomorrow night. The second thing I want to mention is number twos. And what I mean by number twos is a guy at a gym who's kind of the second... Yeah, don't laugh too hard, Carlin. Um, what I mean by number twos is not taking a shit in the toilet. I mean the guy at the gym who's kind of there to support your champion fighter. And Edson Barboza is clearly that guy for Frankie Edgar. And I think that a guy like that will always wear out quicker in the octagon, will have a shorter career, will get less attention from his coaches, and all these factors kind of eventually, you know, come together and, and it's a quick career career collapse. Now, is that happening for Edson Barbosa? No, I don't I don't think that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking more in, in general terms. I think that Edson still has a lot of miles and a lot of great fights ahead of him. But this might be one of those fights that he drops. Add that to the fact that he has had terrible luck on Fox shows. You know, Danny Castillo dropping him in the first round, almost finishing him, could have finished him in, you know, nearly every other ref would have would have called that fight off. And uh, Cowboy Cerrone hitting him with the jab that he didn't see and, um, you know, knocking him out. I think actually he might have choked him out after that. Uh, I, I don't quite remember. But... Nonetheless, the Fox shows haven't served Edson Barbosa well, so we'll see if this uh, this Saturday he can turn the tide. Yeah, hopefully third time isn't the charm because, you know, as everyone that follows Best Fight Picks knows, we're very high on Paul Felder. I mean, the kid, he's just he represents that next generation of strikers, so that's very exciting for me to see. Now, one thing you mentioned was that, you know, he did spend this entire training camp with Frankie Edgar. And that's a question that I had because in his last one with Michael Johnson, he didn't. You know, he tried to go back to his, you know, his boxing gym or this and that. And you know how that goes for guys. It doesn't turn out well at all. You know, Cub Swanson, he uh, he's on a six-fight win streak looking the best he's ever looked. And then he decides, you know, I'm going to leave Greg Jackson and I'm going to, you know, train out of my basement with my boxing coach. And then uh, 
then in his corner in the Max Holloway fight, oh. they're, they're giving him boxing advice. They're like, they're like, jab, jab. And, you know, it's one thing to say jab. Okay, no big deal. You know, that's a punch you're supposed to throw. But, you know. Well, Max is at kicking range. All right, hold on. Thir- 13, 13 minutes into the fight, they're still saying one, two, one, two. I'm like, dude, this is not a boxing match. This is an MMA match, you know. But anyways, with that being said, Edson Barbosa, he is training with Frankie Edgar, who I consider to be one of the top ten pound-for-pound fighters on the world. But like you mentioned, Andrew, you know, it's one of those camps where he's not getting the specialization. He's not the star of the camp. And that's Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar's their golden boy. He's the Tom's River King. He's the former lightweight champion, and the guy's basically a bantamweight. He's one of the baddest dudes on the planet. So, you know, in one way, you can look at it like, Paul Felder's, I mean, excuse me, Edson Barbosa is getting better every single day because he's training with a guy like Frankie Edgar. But on the other hand, you can make the point that you were making where, you know, he's not getting the attention he deserves because Frankie Edgar is the star pupil. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it how it plays out on fight night tomorrow. But one thing I can say is that Mark Henry, you know, his boxing coach, this guy's an absolute whiz. He's an absolute genius. And he'll call out combos and... The way he does it, you know, most guys are like, one, two, you know, two, three, two, two, three, chop, this and that. This guy will be like, Jersey, Jersey. <laughs> so they got nicknames to their strikes. You know, for Barboza, you know, I have no clue. He's going to be like, Terry Adam, Terry Adam. So, you know, it's going to be kind of cool to see how it goes down. Now, obviously, the co-main, of the, the co-main event of the evening features Misha Tate, who's, you know, she's uh, Ronda Rousey's favorite punching bag and judo throwing bag. Versus Jessica I, who's you know in her first couple UFC fights, you know it was kind of okay, yeah, whatever, another fighter. But her last fight against Leslie Smith, I mean, not only did she make this girl's ear explode, the stand-up she displayed prior to that was just very eye-opening. It was very precise. It was very wow. point. It was like something. It was like a completely different fighter. Now she's taking some even more time off, and I want to see what additional improvements and adjustments she's made to her game. And if that can overcome the declining Misha Tate. Yes, I said declining. Carlin, tell us what you think, man. Well, Misha Tate has not impressed me lately. She really hasn't. And I know the UFC wants Misha Tate to win this fight, uh, at least, you know, behind closed doors. They've got their fingers crossed. They're hoping because Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate 3 is the biggest fight you can make with Ronda Rousey, and yes, I'm including Cyborg or Cyborg Justino in that conversation. But the fact of the matter is, Misha Tate just isn't looking good. I thought that Sarah McMahon looked terrible when uh, Misha Tate beat her. It wasn't the case of Misha Tate looking good. Sarah McMahon looked absolutely freaking terrible. And while her wrestling may be uh, an Olympic silver medal level, her wrestling for MMA leaves a lot to be desired. Her choices leave a lot to be desired. And she wasn't fighting someone like uh, Sheila Gaff, who couldn't stop a takedown of her life, depended on it. You know, she was fighting Misha Tate, who's wrestling for MMA, is very good for her division. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really not happy with uh, Sarah McMahon's performance, so I'm tossing that one out. Before that, what do we have? Rin Nakai. Are you fucking shitting me, Rin Nakai? Like, I, I, I can't see uh, anyone worth their salt not finishing Rin Nakai yet. It went 15 minutes, and Misha Tate almost gave that fight away, too. I didn't think she looked that great against Liz Carmouche. I, I think Ronda Rousey, and to a lesser extent, Kat Zingano, ate her soul. 
And add that to the fact that Misha Tate is going to have to corner her wife earlier in the evening. She won't be focusing on warming up. She won't be focusing on getting into a positive headspace. You know, she'll be patting her little wife on the head and saying, "Oh, good job, good job." No matter what happens when he, you know, eventually loses. I just don't see this being a good fight for her. Jessica I, on the other hand, just exploded an appendage off Leslie Smith's face. Leslie Smith is a tough, tough chick. I also like the, the way she looked against a couple of Canadians, Alexis Davis and Sarah Kaufman. I know she lost that uh, Davis fight, but I saw she, she made a great accounting of herself there. Jessica I is on the way up. Misha Tate is on the way down, and it's a bad place for the two of them to meet. Jessica I takes this fight. Carlin, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, Andrew, when we talk about Misha Tate being on the decline, you know, we got to talk about even before her UFC days. You know, Julie Kedsey drops her with a head kick, and she looks terrible in that fight. Then she comes into the UFC. Obviously, you know, Ronda throws her around like she doesn't belong. But, I mean, Kazingano finished her, too. She looked terrible against Liz Carmouche, like Carlin mentioned. You know, I don't know who uh, Rin Nakaya is. You know, the, the siren started going off during that part for a reason. And then uh, her last fight was Sarah McMahon. You know, the first round, she was looking awful. She was getting taken to school. And then for some reason, Sarah McMahon decides to abandon her game plan. I don't think Jessica I is going to abandon her game plan. Now, Andrew, what's your perspective on this fight? I think you both are fucking idiots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, see this, I see this fight in the complete opposite way. I, I don't... I don't um you know, really know where this Misha Tate hate is coming from. Misha Tate's won three straight, and really her only losses have come against elite competition, i.e. Ronda Rousey, the murderer of the 135-pound division. I, I don't think there's a person not named Ronda Rousey who can beat her right now. Um, Kat Zingano was losing both round, both the first and the second round, and... Definitely got that stoppage, and I don't think it was a controversial stoppage. I think that it was a definite, you know, uh, legit, um, you know, that fight needed to stop before her head exploded. Um, but Katzengano's a very elite fighter and, and has great clinch work. So when Misha Tate tries to close the distance to implement her wrestling game, that's where she got in trouble. A fighter like Jessica I has zero takedown defense plays right into the hands of a very smart, savvy fighter who is desperate for a win to get the biggest payday of her career uh, in Misha Tate. Misha Tate, you know, if if nothing else, is very savvy in this game, very savvy marketing-wise, very savvy in the fights that she accepts, and very savvy in, in the game plan that she implements in those fights. In this fight, I don't think we're going to see anything, uh, you know, different. We're going to see Misha Tate get the takedown, grind it out, win two or three of the rounds. It's going to be a very boring affair. And um, we're going to see Misha Tate line herself up for the next title shot against Ronda Rousey. Um, Jessica I has looked very impressive, but has been looking very impressive in exclusively the striking round, which, you know, in a 135-pound division will take you very far. But, you know you need to complement it with some sort of wrestling game because you're going to encounter, never mind Ronda Rousey, who will just judo throw you and, and destroy you, you're going to encounter girls like Liz Carmouche. You're going to encounter girls like, you know, Misha Tate. I would favor Liz Carmouche over, over Jessica I at this point just because of the failures in her wrestling game. Um, 
So I look I look for Misha Tate to kind of cruise in a very easy decision here. You know, I thought you were bringing up some very good points until you said you'd pick Liz Carmouche to defeat Jessica <laughs> Um So, you know, it's one of those things where we're just going to have to tune in tomorrow because, you know, I could say, oh, she's going to stuff the takedowns. You could say, no, she's not. We can go back and forth. But tomorrow night, in less than 24 hours, maybe a little bit more than 24 hours, we're going to find out firsthand if she can stuff those takedowns, keep the fight standing, and light her up like Carlin and myself believe she will do. Now, on to the main event of the evening. So we talked about this briefly earlier on the show that Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence, on his blog, he told people to throw down $20 on the plus 800 underdog, TJ Dillashaw. Now, not only in hindsight was this one of the smartest moves he's ever made in his life, this was actually one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. Now the tables have reversed, and TJ Dillashaw is the UFC bantamweight champion, and Henan Barao is the challenger. Now, the first fight, you know, it almost seemed like a mismatch. And it's funny because it seemed like a mismatch on paper. I thought Barao was going to go in there and steamroll him. And I was right in one sense. It was a mismatch, except it was a mismatch in the complete opposite direction. TJ Dillashaw goes out there and... Not only does he outstrike the Novo Niao striker, the Johnny Eduardo pupil, not only does he knock him out, you know, he takes his back and almost subs him. He, uh, you know, he avoided the knee bar from Henan Brown because after he dropped Henan Brown, Henan's, you know, he's such a warrior. He's going for a knee bar, a leg lock, and TJ Dillashaw, you know, he, he does the proper defense. He spins out of it, gets the fight back up to the feet where he wants it. He listens to his corner so damn well. Now they're fighting each other again, and TJ Dillashaw isn't a plus 800 underdog this time. You know, he's actually a minus 240 favorite. So it's really interesting. You know, there's two ways of thinking of this fight. You know, either TJ has his number or Henan Barao, you know, simply underestimated him the first time they fought. Now, I think that Henan Barao is going to come in way better shape this time. Now, another thing I want to talk about before you guys break down the fight is Henan Barao versus Mitch Gagnon. Now, I have a very minority opinion about this fight. A lot of people thought that Henan Burrell looked like absolute shit against Mitch Gagnon, and I'm actually on the opposite. I thought he looked great. Now, let me explain why I thought he looked great. All right. I mean, not only does he drop him, not only does he take him down, not only does he beat him at his own game and tap him out instantly, and not only did Mitch Gagnon basically have zero success that entire fight, but, I mean, Hendon Burrell was just chilling, man. He was going 50% that fight. He was just, you know, chilling, you know. It, it, he could have had a blunt in one hand and a drink in the other, and he still, and he still would have beat Mitch Gagnon. Mitch Gagnon was going 110%. His face is turning purple. He's giving it everything he's got. And Hendon Burrell is just chilling, man. He's, you know, he's Hendon the Baron, man, you know. Jab, jab, take him down, drop him with an uppercut, you know, throw a flying knee here and there. No big deal. This guy doesn't belong in there with me. Now he's fighting the champion that took his belt. And I can tell you this firsthand, he's not going to go in there, you know, on 50% cruise control, like he's chilling at the beach in his bathing suit. He's coming out here to finish TJ Dillashaw. The question is, will that actually happen? Now, a lot of people say no. The betting lines say no. What do you say, Carlin Barsley? Yeah, this is one of those fights where, you know, like I, I've gone back and forth a lot because I don't think that the Henan Barrao we saw in the first TJ Dillashaw fight is emblematic of the Henan Barrao that we know of what he can accomplish. 
Uh, TJ, though, he's got a world full of momentum riding behind him. Uh, the UFC is very, very high on TJ Dillashaw. They want him to be the next you know, big thing among the lighter weight classes. They, you know, he's, he's young. He's a, a killer. He's a well-spoken guy. He's a good-looking guy. You know, like, they want him to be that new Uriah Faber, that new BJ Penn for the lighter weight classes. That's why that they're giving uh, him this huge platform here on, on uh, Big Fox on the free TV to get people invested in this guy. But Hanan Burrell is not going to go quietly into that good night. Uh, he is just, you know, I'm sure he lies awake at night thinking to himself, why? Why did I do these things, you know? Well, why didn't I pay attention to my wake up more? Why didn't I do this? Now, it is eating away at Hanan Burrell's very fiber of being. And when you have something that you want that badly and there's one preppy face little snot standing across from you that's taken away from you, you want to just slap the piss out of that guy and take what's yours. Hanan Burrell is a very, very dangerous individual right now. That said, Dillashaw's got a ton of momentum. Bang Ludwig is uh, continuing to uh, grow his striking by leaps and bounds. Dillashaw is a very scary dude himself. I see this possibly going at 25 minutes, but I see TJ Dillashaw's hand raised. Maybe he even gets another late finish like he did last time, but I am really excited for this fight. The same way I was for the first fight. The first fight was one of the, the best times I've ever had watching a, a fight in my life. I helped James Lynch move that day, and he was buying the drinks. So, I mean, I was having a blast that night. <laughs> well, we'll see who's going to be buying the drinks tomorrow night. Now, Andrew. Is TJ Dillashaw going to defend his belt against Hennon Uh God, I hope so. I have enough money riding on him that I need it to happen. Um, this is what I think about this fight, right? Um, it's an unpopular opinion, but it's my opinion uh, nonetheless. TJ Dillashaw's uh, Muay Thai style right now is probably the most superior for, you know, the weight class is 55 or under. When you couple it with his wrestling game, he's probably unbeatable at 135. You know, we've talked a lot about jo uh, Johnny uh, Eduardo and, and, and his Muay Thai teaching, but I really think that, uh, you know, that style of Muay Thai is very limited and very traditional. While you're talking about the Dutch style, which is very... Um, you know, which which can be more aggressive and more reckless at, at, at times, but has, uh, you know, a lot more methodology behind it. And I think when you couple a very intelligent fighter like TJ with that kind of training and that kind of style, you have this perfect marriage. And then when you couple it with the wrestling game, then you're turning him into just this super champion monster. Um, with, the, with the Bang Muay Thai... TJ Dillashaw, I, and here's the thing that that no one really factors into, uh, you know, any of these breakdowns, is that TJ Dillashaw is the by far superior athlete. Now maybe when you know Hennon Brown doesn't have to do an extreme weight cut, he's uh, uh, you know a completely different person. But TJ's weight cut isn't that severe, and he's able to be in the cage, someone who's you know, so athletic and so explosive. And once you gave him the tools, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Bang Ludwig has been able to give him, he's just become, you know, this this absolute force. I don't see anyone beating TJ Dillashaw, not in next Saturday, not in a year, not in the next few years, until someone in the 135-pound division develops a new style that can kind of counteract this, I don't see it happening. Maybe if Frankie Edgar drops another weight class, then we'll have, like, a legit contender to TJ Dillashaw. Maybe I'm, you know, anointing a king prematurely here, but 
it's my honest opinion. I think that TJ Dillashaw is the truth. He's going to be champion for a while, and Hennebrow uh, is going to be, you know, clowned again. Uh, and he's going to probably be knocked out late in the fourth, fifth round. So the clown kid predicts that Hennebrow is going to be clown. Now, obviously, you bring up some very good points about, you know, TJ Dillashaw, about the fact that he is the lighter guy in that weight class. You know, he actually has made some comments that he could drop to 125 pounds and go take the belt over there. And he's also said he wants to go up to 145 pounds too. Now, he has a very good implementation of his bang Muay Thai. His awareness inside the cage, his footwork, the way he changes his stances. Now, obviously, if you want to beat a guy like that, you know, we briefly alluded to the fact that you got to cut off that ring. You got to pick your shots wisely because when you talk about, uh, you know, Hennon Burrell, like, if he tries to go speed for speed with TJ Dillashaw, he's going to get knocked out in the first round. You don't go speed for speed with a guy that's faster than you. You cut off that ring. You pick your shots. And, you know, maybe he can even use that Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and be the first man to ever take down TJ Dillashaw inside the octagon. Now, that's going to be quite a feat in itself if he's able to do that. I'm not saying he will, but, I mean, you got to strive high if you want to fight a guy like TJ Dillashaw. You can't, you know, just be like, all right, I'm going to give it my best. <laughs> you got to think, I'm going to kill this guy. You got to think, I'm going to beat him at every area of the game. And if Hennep Burrell's not thinking like that, he's going to get blown out the water. You know, chances are, even if he's at his best, he might still get blown out the water. So I'm very, very curious to see what goes down. Now, it looks like we lost our buddy Carlin on the show. He had to drop out. But I just want to let the audience know, since he's not here to tell you, I'm going to tell you, you can find this guy on Twitter at Carlin Bardsley, and you can follow his show at Parting Shot MMA. Every single Sunday, Carlin and James Lynch, they do the Parting Shot podcast. It's one of the absolute best MMA podcasts around. So you better go to SoundCloud and subscribe to the Parting Shot podcast now, Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence, before we wrap this up, I got to know, what is your fight to watch for UFC on Fox 16? <laughs> uh, Dominique Steele? Like, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll stop there. Probably, uh, you know, the fight that I'm, you know, most looking forward to is the title fight, as cliched as that is. Um, but probably the fight that'll, that'll just get uh, me be really hyped will be Tom Lawler against John Volante because I love me some stupid Long Island Guidos, you know, and I love me some Fall River Massachusetts boys. And if there's ever been a bigger rivalry of idiots, it's definitely guys from Fall River against stupid idiots from Long Island. So, um, you know, I'll be happy to see either of those fools get knocked out. Now, Andrew, who do you pick to win between Jean Vellante and Tom Lawler? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'll go with the easy pick here and uh, and pick the uh, and pick John. Um, poor Tom Lawler. It's been like what, like two years since the guy's fought. Um, that was ten years. Ten years. It's been, it's been ten whole years. Two thousand and five. Jesus, time flies. Um, but yeah, I think um, you know, I think probably Tom is is you know taking his his farewell lap around the ring right now. And I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, Tom Lawler is a guy that could potentially make 170, and now he's going back up to 205. He's fighting one of the bigger guys. And, you know, Tom Lawler, he looks to clinch you up against the fence, you know, potentially, you know, jump on a guillotine. And you're not about to guillotine a guy that trains his grappling with Chris Weidman every single day. I mean, it is what it is. Now, my fight to watch is Paul Felder versus Edson Barbosa. I mean, 
I really want to see what's about to go down. If I had to pick one fight to watch on the entire card, aside from the main event, it'd be Felder versus Barboza. I mean, you know, Felder's just – his last fight with Danny Castillo, not only the improvements he made from his first fight with Jason Saga, which I was impressed with his grappling in that first fight, you know – Guys usually lose the first round of Danny Castillo. You know, Michael Johnson got dropped by Danny Castillo. Edson Barbosa got dropped by Danny Castillo. Tony Ferguson went to a split decision with Danny Castillo. Paul Felder made Danny Castillo look like he's never fought a day in his life. He made him look like an amateur. So for that reason, in addition to the fact that Edson Barbosa has one of the, you know, scariest highlight reels we've ever seen in our lives that knockout over terry edam i mean where he stiffened him like a board i've never seen anything like that he's the only man in ufc history to win more than one fight via leg kicks edson barbosa is a scary animal so felder versus barbosa that's my fight to watch now andrew who is your fighter to watch <laughs> my fighter to watch uh that's a tough one you know let's uh My fighter to watch. I would say Paul Felder, only because he's had so little exposure. Only two fights so far in the UFC. He, he has unlimited potential. It's a big spot for him. We'll see how he reacts to the pressure. It's against a very dangerous fighter. You know, I, I'd lean towards Paul Felder as a real answer. We already talked about Paul Felder enough, though. So, um, you know, let, let's take a uh, let's take a stab at also Joe Lozon. You know, let's see if Joe Lozon still has it to stay in the UFC. Okay, fair enough. And, you know, you happen to steal my fighter to watch with Paul Felder. So I'm going to flip the script a little bit. I'm going to say the fighter to watch is Henan Burrell. We have so many questions about Henan Burrell. He got crushed in the first fight with TJ Dillashaw. A lot of people think he didn't look that great against Mitch Gagnon. I disagree, as we, you know, we previously spoke about. You know, obviously the questions with him hitting his head on the bathtub and missing weight the second time. And now he's got to fight the man that dethroned him and gave him the worst ass beating of his life. The man that took away his belt. The man that ended his 31-fight undefeated streak. I want to see how Henan Burrell rebounds from that. So from, for that reason, Henan Burrell is my fighter to watch for the weekend. Now, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for coming on the third ever edition of Half the Battle. And just go ahead, you know, Plug anything you got going on. Obviously, you know, I got to let the audience know that before the bald man speaks is Andrew's post-fight show. And not only is this one of the best shows in the business, this is the best post-fight show in the business. Now, obviously, when the fights end, there's that little period between, you know, the main event ending, the little interview with Joe Rogan. You know, you grab a beer and you're like, oh, when's this press conference going to start? In that little time in between – before the bald man speaks, before Dana White speaks, my man Andrew the Clown Kid Lawrence has revolutionized the game with his brand new post-fight show, Before the Bald Man Speaks. Now, I was honored enough to be a guest on the first ever episode, but he's been continuing it week after week. It's getting – the numbers are going up. The content's improving. The guests are getting better. And I only see bright skies for Before the Bald Man Speaks. Now, Andrew – Give any plugs you got to give, get any shout outs, and just, you know, tell us what's going on, man. Yeah, definitely, um, you know, go on YouTube, type in the, Before the Bald Man Speaks, and go ahead and uh, subscribe if you're interested in, uh, you know, the, the post-fight show. Um, there's big things going on in the future of the web show. You know, we're going to 
you know, make some proper segments and kind of give some form to the show. Um, but it's really just a fun, loose show. We like to, uh, we, we like to have a little bit of fun. Um, you know, it, it's not too serious. You basically have a choice as an MMA fan. At the end of, of a UFC event, you can either watch Kenny Florian in DC talk stupidity on Fox Sports 1, or you can, you know, log onto your computer and have some people talk some real shit. And if you're into the real shit, then, uh, then please subscribe to my YouTube page and, uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter at any time. I'm at the clown kid. You have to add the the. Um, otherwise, you'll be talking to some other idiot who doesn't care about MMA. Um, but, yep, hit me up on Twitter. You know, say something funny, you know, or don't. But, you know, please make it funny because I have to read all this stuff. And, Carlin, you know, while you were gone, <laughs> I plugged your podcast and your Twitter handle. But I just want you to tell the audience firsthand, you know, where they can find you, what you got coming up. And I just want to let everyone know before you do do that that you have to check out the Parting Shot Podcast. Go to SoundCloud right now. Subscribe to the Parting Shot Podcast. And every single Sunday, James Lynch and Carlin Bardsley and whatever amazing guests they have at the time will talk you through your best Sunday listening material. Now, Carlin, tell us what you think. Tell us your tell, Give us your parting shots, please. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened there. I just had a, a technological breakdown. I mean, uh, I suck at technology. I hate it. I wish I could create a machine that would destroy it all, but alas, I suck at technology. So, uh, thanks for plugging me in my absence, but you can check out The Parting Shot on MMAOddsBreaker.com. It's on the SoundCloud, as you mentioned, as well. Great show this Sunday coming up. We have uh, Jake Shields, who is, uh, of course, a former UFC stalwart, now headlining in World Series of Fighting. Uh, Ian Uncle Creepy McCall is uh, going to be on the program as well. We actually talked to Ian while he was at his doctor's office when he got the news that he was going to have to pull out of his upcoming fight uh, in the, the next UFC as well. So that was a really cool interview. He talked about that, how disappointed he is, uh, going to the Dalai Lama's birthday party. Ian's a different guy. I like talking to him. So check that out. And um, who else is on that show? Oh, Mikey Ruckus, who is a music producer and does a lot of MMA work, and uh, that was a cool thing as well. You can also check me out uh, at inthecage.ca. If I ever get involved in anything that's a little bit too weird for a parting shot, uh, that's kind of where it lands. And what else? Oh, yeah, I'm on the Twitter. I am on the Twitter, at Carlin Bardsley. Hit me up. We can chat about uh, face punching, uh, beer, Guns N' Roses, Bill Murray movies, uh, Asian women, and the Canadian political system. I'm down to talk about all of those things. Uh, I don't know anything about anything else, but one of those subjects I I'm, I'm completely into. And I just want to thank uh, you for having me tonight, Dan. It's always great talking to the clown kid as well. And I want to thank the, the guy that, uh, or, or girl that was standing off camera to Andrew's right during the entire uh, broadcast. I mean, Whatever they're doing, they did a great job. It reminds me of that John Jones Rampage Jackson standoff. You know, and John Jones kind of looking off to the side, so Rampage turned around and went, "Hey!" Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, thank you both for coming on the show. I really do appreciate that. Now, a couple things I gotta plug. You know, obviously this is my show, Half the Battle, and next week I'll be welcoming in my first ever UFC fighter. You guys ready? Drum roll, drum roll. <laughs> This man is a UFC lightweight fighter. 
He just beat a very hyped Australian in Australia. And I'm talking about the man, James Vick. You know, this guy knocked out Darren Crookshank with a knee. He tapped out Ramsey Nijum. He went toe-to-toe with Valmir Lazaro. He went toe-to-toe with Nick Hine. He's a consummate badass, and I'm very honored to have him as my first UFC guest next week on Half the Battle. Also, we're doing two episodes of Half the Battle next week. So we got the James Vick edition, and then we got a special edition with Joey G Sports from Cage Cash and my man Sam Reeves, who has only made one appearance on air. It actually happened to be on the Clown Kids show. Now, this man runs everything digital with Best Fight Picks. I'm talking about the website. I'm talking about the mailing list. He does everything that I don't do, and he and he puts up with me being an asshole and putting up 6.5 units on Conor McGregor to beat Chad Mendes. So we're going to have him on the show, Joey G, James Bick. We're going to talk all kinds of shit, all kinds of UFC 190, Ronda Rousey breaking arms and throwing them outside the cage and taking a shovel and, you know, uh, <laughs> building a, you know, digging up a grave for her opponents. And another thing I got to plug is, Every single Wednesday or Thursday, depending where you are on the globe, myself and Flying Brian, we do the Flying with Best Fight Picks podcast, and as you know, break down that card from top to bottom, let you know which place to place, your counter move teams, your UFC pickums, the entire enchilada, you know, we don't discriminate, we include everything. And I want to thank the listeners of this show, all, uh, all a million of them, thank you guys. Both of them. Thank you guys so much for you know for tuning in. Obviously, go to SoundCloud, subscribe to Best Fight Picks. Go to YouTube, subscribe to Best Fight Picks, and thank you guys so much. Good luck and enjoy the fights.